welcome to the Season 3 finale of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 22, which is titled One More for the Road. The episode aired on May 15th, 1997. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? The U.S. sends its first ambassador to Vietnam since the end of the war. Holy shit, it took that long? Yep. Wow. According to my research, that's... Okay. At least, at least that one ended. Another one of Lizzie's favorite in an absolute fever dream of a movie, The Fifth Element, starring Bruce Willis and Mila Jovovich. I jo- can never say her name Mila right. Jovovich. Mila Jovovich debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. Isn't that Uwe, Uwe, Boll's, Uwe Boll's wife or something? Isn't that who she's married to? Maybe. She's married to some really shitty, uh, really shitty foreign director. No idea. And hypnotized by the notorious B.I.G. continues its run atop the music charts. And we are, because my birthday is always right after the season finale episodes, next week, little <laughs> Lauren would have been five years old. Look at that. Happy early Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Lauren. Happy early birthday, little Lauren. Birthdays are always on the season breaks for me. So, sure. Daniel, what else is on? What else was on that? This is kind of a weird night uh, for TV. Uh, we have at 8 p.m. We have Friends with the episode The One at the Beach. At 8.30 p.m. we have Fired Up. So if you'll recall, uh, most recently we've had uh, Suddenly Susan in this slot. Uh, you can kiss that show goodbye as of last week. That is, uh, I don't think it's canceled, but it's moved to a different night and I will never see it again. Um, and as of this week, you can also say goodbye to Fired Up because uh, I believe somewhere between... I think it's during the break um, this show will get canceled altogether. Um, But they air two new episodes tonight um, and they do them like sandwiched around a new Seinfeld. So that, that's what I thought was kind of strange about this. Like it's not unusual for shows to do two episodes in a night, but usually it's back to back and usually one of them is a rerun. But in this case it was two brand new episodes and they were sandwiched around uh, Seinfeld. But at eight 30 fired up had the episode. Are we not friends? At 9 p.m., Seinfeld had the Summer of George classic episode, I'm guessing. Classic episode. It's one that we reference like at least once a week in this apartment, and Lizzie's not even a Seinfeld fan. Yeah, I really need to like do a, a, a full-throated like rewatch of Seinfeld. Like I've cherry-picked some stuff here and there, but I haven't I've never sat down and watched it beginning to end. Daniel, I will if we pick like a block of episodes and hey we're say, hey, we're watching these this week, I will sit down and watch them with you. I might yeah, I might have to take you up on that. Because I need to rewatch. Lizzie got me the whole box set forever ago, and I have not sat down and done a thorough, like, rewatch of it since then, so. Yeah, I think it's still on Hulu last I checked. I think so. So, um, and then at 9.30, the other uh, new Fired Up episode was uh, titled The Rules, and yeah, like I said, uh, starting with season four, uh, when we come back in September, this show will be no more, so no more Fired Up. We hardly knew ye. And uh, the only reason that... Uh, we referenced the Summer of George episode so much is because that meme keeps coming up. For, uh, say it keeps being memed because of uh, COVID last summer. It was supposed to be the Summer of George. The Summer <laughs> of George. <laughs> so it just, uh, yeah. it's not going to be the Summer of George this year either, no, folks. No. Doesn't look like it. Uh, for viewers this week, we stayed pretty consistent. I think last week we were at 34.8. This week we're up just slightly to 34.9 million. Uh, this week's episode is directed by Chris Chulock doing his 10th of 43. Uh, previous ones of his from this season that we have talked about include You Bet Your Life, The Long Way Around, Fear of Flying, and Dr. Carter, I presume. This week's episode is written by showrunner John Wells doing his 12th of 32 episodes. Previous ones that he wrote this season include Faith and Dr. Carter, I presume. 
previously on ER is handled by Carrie this episode, and we open with a slow pan through a dark apartment. At first, Lizzie and I joked that it must be Benton's because of the Bose sound system, but it's actually Mark sitting in his boxers, kind of staring out at the rain, unable to sleep. So. Yikes. Not a great, not a great morning for Mark. We haven't, we haven't had a good beefcake shot of Mark yet. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, season. it's been, it's been a while <laughs> since we, we've had a Mark in his boxers shot. Yeah. But anyway, we move on from that to uh, Doug running down the L steps and into the yard. It's pouring rain outside, and we learn that Dr. Delamico has not found a place yet. She's looking on the west side, and because she only makes twenty-seven grand currently, which roughly converted from nineteen ninety-seven to twenty twenty-one dollars, is about forty-five thousand. I mean, not terrible, but not uh, certainly not doctor like for the amount of hours they're putting in. Probably not great. Yeah. Considering you're probably doing like 80 hour weeks or something yeah. like that. Break it down by the hourly. It's probably not, you're not making bank. Uh, but we go from there up to the NICU where a uh, nurse is waking up Benton. It's 5 a.m. And uh, she seems like he's been there a while because she asks when he was home last. Sounds like it's it's been a, been a little bit. Uh, she tells him to go home and take a shower, uh, you know, get himself get himself cleaned up but he's like no i have to scrub it in 30 minutes which ew gross you are gonna be like smelly as shit in your surgery my dude real gross uh so yeah benton we're gonna we're gonna get, we're gonna get at least some resolution on the reese situation this episode we're, mm-hmm. we're moving along tying up loose ends oh and then we go over to al and Jeannie are all curled up together in bed and al is watching her sleep like for a prolonged period of time and Jeannie wakes up and just goes, it's raining. And Al responds, you're beautiful. Too much. Too much. Jeannie, why? Too much. Jeannie, why? Oh, just awful. And we'll, also find, t- we'll have an answer to why later in this episode. I know, but still. I don't agree with it, but still. And independent of the problematic nature of Jeannie and Al's relationship, stop watching people sleep, you fucking creeps. Like, just stop doing it. It's weird. It's always weird. Stop doing it. We've done this like two or three times now, like Mark and Jennifer and like, just, just stop doing it. Warren, Ew. would you like to come to Al's defense in this case? No, I'll like, <laughs> if I wake up before you, I look at you and go, oh, you're cute. And then I get on with my day. I don't lay in bed for an extra five minutes and go, it's true. Mm, Lizzie, like, it's ex- I don't, it's, it's too much. Like it's, he's it's extended. excessive. It's the unbroken eye contact of him directly onto her face and she's laying there completely unaware. No. Like, Pro- no. Prolonged eye contact. Prolonged eye contact. It's not great, fam. Like, don't. Don't do it. We're just, we're also not a super sentimental bunch here. So that's also part of it. But that's just. True. Mm, don't I don't do think it. you need to be sentimental to not be a fucking creep. Like. I love you, Daniel. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I don't think you need to be sentimental not to be a fucking creep. Hallmark, sponsor us. Uh, First ST t-shirt. There you go. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's move on to our first audio clip of the episode. We have uh, Carter upstairs outside of Spa's office, uh, you know, trying to set an appointment, but inadvertently runs into Anspa instead. Good morning, Doctor. Early bird catches the worm. Uh, I was actually waiting for Mrs. Ginsburg. If somebody catch a couple minutes with you today. Well, Marla doesn't get in until 7. What's on your mind, Doctor? Uh, now? I was so hoping for an appointment this afternoon. Well, there's no time like the present. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd prefer to come back later, if that's okay with you. Are you intentionally trying to irritate me, Dr. Carter? No, sir. Then speak up. 
I've been contemplating leaving the surgical program. I, I've been considering it for quite some time, and, and I feel that um, I've made an error in selecting surgery as my specialty. Uh, for, 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 the tr for the most part, the training has been excellent. But I just feel that um, ultimately uh, I don't belong in surgery. And, and I would suspect that you would agree with me. I certainly do not. You don't. You entered into a contract, Doctor. A contract with this institution. We agreed to give you the finest surgical training available in the nation in exchange for six years of your best effort. I understand that. I understand that, but I just think that... I do not give a damn what you think. This is not summer camp. You cannot just run home to mommy. You're going to suck it up and stick to it. That's what men do. But I... Are we communicating here? Good. And if I ever hear this kind of crap coming out of your mouth again, the only kind of medicine you'll be practicing is picking out a cough suppressant for yourself down at the Jewel. First off, I don't remember Anspa ever being this angry of a character. Yeah, they dial this it up. Yeah, to be fair, for this instance, he's very angry. Normally, he's fine. Normally, he's just condescending. You know, he's been up He's been up Carter's ass a lot this season, but it's just been building to this. he expects more of Carter. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the second half of the season. He has definitely dialed it up quite a bit. But this is, I think this is the Anspa that they sold us when he first showed up. Remember, like, remember uh, Morgan's turn was all talking about how scary, you know, Anspa was and how, what a tyrant. Brimstone. Yeah, you know, and then that really didn't happen at all until here you know and yeah like this is definitely the angriest that we've ever seen Anspa but um Lauren's right though he has definitely been sort of there's been a pattern of dickishness especially towards Carter the last half of this season I do like I do like the the um reference to picking out drug or fuck picking out cough syrup at the jewel <laughs> thought that was cute but yeah when he's like we don't cry to mommy yeah. Jesus, yeah. Man. Also, the whole fuck the whole con con toxic masculinity concept of suck it up. This is what men do, right? Didn't you just have a surgical intern like not what three months ago at this point <laughs> kill yeah, himself fucking, based yeah. on the hyper hyper pressure environment, like and apathy from instructors? Yeah, you would think that he would be extra sensitive as the head of this program. You would think he would be extra sensitive to one of his students or whatever you whatever whatever carter is at this point i don't know one of uh, his charges yeah one of his charges coming to him and saying i don't know that i belong here and i think i'm misplaced here on a philosophical level like you would think he'd be a little bit more sensitive to that given the events of the past six months but uh, apparently not apparently not nope but uh we come out of that in with our uh bangs 22 for 22 this season zero Aww. twinkles shut out that's fine i know there's more coming but not this season. Uh, we come out of the intro. We see Mark in the bathroom where he was assaulted because that seems healthy. Uh, and really, like, it has been over a week because we, we determined it was a week between episodes 20 and 21 at least. So that I, I would say it's a fair bet that there's been at least another week between 21 and 22. So we're talking it's been a full two weeks since his assault. They haven't had time to fix the mirror. Like, or at least take it down. Like, even if you're not going to fix it, like, just take the broken one down. It, it practically has everything but his blood stain still on it. Okay, uh, do you realize that you're dealing with a state-run facility? I mean, sure, yeah. So everything takes, like, like an I extra, said, like, five layers of bureaucracy. I'm not expecting... No, 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 especially in Chicago because, the, because like, labor unions 
like are deep seated into government contracts. Like you cannot you cannot sneeze near an electrical outlet without getting the without getting a union approval. Yeah. It's a little ridiculous. I, I'm, not, I'm not asking for the, a brand new shiny mirror in its place. I'm just saying maybe take down yeah. the shattered, bloodstained one. And Lizzie had brought up a good point that this is either the mirror that he had his head slammed into or when he came back to work and he freaked out and he punched something. Was it the mirror he punched or was it like the... Or he threw a trash can at it, I thought, or something. Or something like that. I think, but yeah, did so he like, punch? I thought he punched the... Um, the paper, the paper towel, towel dispenser. dispenser, yeah. Right. So we weren't sure if this was collateral damage from that freak out or from his attack. He's having a lot of those lately. More to come. Yep. But uh, in any event, we go out of there. We see Carol and Anna talking about rent. And uh, she tells Carol that her budget is about $600 a month, uh, which I remember those days, kind of. Like, my first apartment was 500 bucks a month. It wasn't in Chicago, but it was still 500 a month. Uh, and Carol, even in 1997 terms, is looking at her and going like, oof. Like, do you ever think about looking for a roommate? Like... I would like I would wonder what six hundred dollars a month would get you in Chicago now, like in terms of roommates. Like how many people would you have to live with in order for six hundred dollars a month to float you? You you can do a like an adequate three bedroom at six hundred a month. Per person, yeah. Yeah. Three people. Yeah, if you're doing like an eighteen hundred a month, you could you could do a three bedroom for that and have it be like all right for the really good ones. Mm -hmm. You're looking at probably eight or nine hundred a month. For three per people. room for three people, right? Would yeah. you say? Depending yeah. on what neighborhood you're looking. Yeah. But anyway, we move on to young Chuck Chuck Martinez. A uh, little kid has uh, pain in his right hip, and Anna is working with them and orders a whole battery of tests for a small problem. And Carol seems perturbed that how many tests are being ordered for this child. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, young Chuck's mother here, uh, Mrs. Martinez, is semi-notable here because uh, she will actually return as another character in 2000. So we've got a rash of these in the last few episodes of uh, little bit part players that will be coming back in later uh, later seasons as different characters. Uh, this actress's name is Clorinda Ross. And like I said, she'll be returning to us uh, three years from now. So check for her in three seasons. Um, and then we have Carter approaching Mark about transitioning to emergency medicine, seeing if Mark can help him, like, talk to Anspa and get this figured out. And Mark completely rebuffs Carter and says, go to Carrie. Carrie's closer with Anspa. She may be able to, you know, get your foot in the door a little bit better than I can. And then Benton is up in surgery with Hicks and he's distracted and having trouble following directions from her as the surgery is going on. And the NICU has paged him, and he bails in the middle of a procedure and says, I'm sorry, I have to go. And leaves completely leaves the surgery, and Hicks has to call somebody else to scrub in. To be fair, he kind of has the ultimate family emergency going on. Yeah. And then we go back down to the ER, where introduced to another patient we'll follow throughout this episode, Mr. Munder. He's a 39-year-old with... Came in with uh, after having chest pain at the gym, and he has a deep family history of heart issues. So any little twinge of... Potential chest pain is of note for this gentleman. Yeah, didn't he say his dad died at like thirty-five of a yeah, heart attack like or something like that? Yeah, and like his grandpa and a whole bunch of other fa- a whole bunch of other issues. At least he's not being a dude about it. Like, at least he's not like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, yeah. just go home. Like, but then we go from there to our next patient, uh, Mr. Kerwain uh, Bert. I believe is his first name. Very elderly, very thin gentleman uh, being brought in. Uh, his wife is with him. Ha- has a big paper bag full of his medications 
Uh, I love the look on, I think it's Jeannie's face when she gets the bag of medications where she's just like, oh shit, like <laughs> I have to dig through this. Um, the wife, Mrs. Kerwain, is played by actress Nan Martin. Uh, she's probably our most prolific actri- uh, bit part actress in this episode. Uh, 138 credits to her name. She appeared in movies like Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Shallow How, and Castaway, among many other things. And unfortunately, as you might guess from her age in this episode, she did pass away in 2010 at, I believe, 82. Um, But she's taking care of Bert here and uh, doing this very, like, soothing... I'm assuming this patient probably... Bert probably has, like, some form of Alzheimer's or memory memory loss. um, Because she keeps referring to herself as mommy, which I know is kind of a thing with really far gone Alzheimer's patients. They get very confused. And, like, I know that definitely happened with my grandmother who had Alzheimer's. Um... You know, they, they begin to view their caretakers as parents, you know. So Yeah, my my dad's best friend at the home that he was at, um, he thought that she was his mom. Yeah. She looked to be fair, she looked a lot like my grandma mm-hmm. and just was the same kind of soft spoken personality that my grandma was, but they were best friends and he yeah, he was in the same boat where he was just convinced. Yeah. And she she played along with it and she humored him and helped him out and everything but yeah so yeah we will we will uh deal with bert and uh by extension mrs kerwain uh kind of throughout this episode definitely going to be carter's central patient for this one but then we go on to doug and carol and doug has put her down for a reference as a reference for a big brother program that he wants to participate in and he asks her out for dinner but she has a date with someone up in hematology so she has to pass and then Ortho is going to be an hour behind on the orthocentesis for Chuck Martinez. And Doug's like, who the fuck ordered an orthocentesis for an eight-year-old and is not happy about this? So he's going to he's gonna have some words about this a little bit later. All right. And we got and next up, we got the our next audio, which is the first of several uh, Nick U scenes. Uh, go up there with Carla and Benton. Hey, you didn't sleep last night? Mm. On and off. He's off the oscillating vent. Hmm. The nitric oxide worked, so we were able to move him onto the respirator. And? The ultrasound showed no hemorrhage or dilatation of ventricles, and the CT revealed no evidence of paraventricular leukomalacia. What's he saying? The structures of the brain are okay. Thank God. So, most likely, there'll be no developmental problems or disabilities, right? Well, there can be problems associated with anoxia. Anoxia? Your baby was deprived of oxygen in the womb, so there's always the possibility that there could be brain damage. Will he um, be able to play with other kids and learn to read? If you're asking me, will he be a doctor or a lawyer, I can't say. Chances are your baby will be fine. But a certain percentage do have neurodevelopmental problems and or learning disabilities. What? percentage infants delivered at 32 weeks with no complications have a better than 98 percent chance of being normal well, well what about the ones born with complications your child had several serious complications at birth no one can give you an accurate percentage it's not an exact science babies are resilient we'll just have to wait and see a lot to unpack there. Looks like Reese is mostly out of the woods, but it's kind of a wait-and-see situation. We won't know what his true prognosis is for a little while longer until he starts 
um, going through some developmental milestones. Check back with us in season four. <laughs> um, I also want to note the doll that they have here for baby Reese is terrifying. Especially when it breathes. I was not expecting yeah. that. <laughs> it's like the little the little baby Reese preemie dolls that they use remind me of the tiny alien in Men in Black that's like inside the guy's head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for getting that. I appreciate I that. I understood that reference. I understood this reference. Yeah, that's that's what it reminds me of. Just like, ugh. Um, then we go on. Mark is telling Doyle that he's buying a gun for security purposes. That's always a great idea when you're recovering from trauma. And a detective is coming by later to show Mark some pictures to help identify a perp. I would like to point out, too, that uh, Mark tells Doyle at the beginning of the episode that he is considering buying a gun. And by the end of the episode, he has a gun. Uh, so getting a gun in this country is broken. <laughs> Just pointing that out. Even in 1997, it's broken. Under no circumstances should he be able to get a gun in a matter of hours. Because I'm pretty sure there's a time, like there's a, a space in this episode where they say Mark went out to run errands, which we can assume that's where he got the gun. And so it's like in the space of a few hours, this very emotionally fragile man was able to get his hands on a loaded weapon. Great. Love to see it. Merka. <sighs> Speaking of emotionally fragile, Mark asked Doug to write him a prescription for Percodan. And uh, Doug is like, well, I can write you five or six to tide you over. And Mark says, I'm going to need a lot more than that. Oh, hello, opioid crisis. We're just getting all the hot buttons into this one, one mm -hmm. episode. Let's just get them all out. End of the season. We got to get them out. Smoke them while you got them. Uh, but we go back to Mr. Munder, our uh, chest pain patient from uh, earlier. He's now got sudden chest pain, and they identify that he is, in fact, having a heart attack. So uh, developments to come with Mr. Munder. Good on him for, you know, respecting the family history. Air on the side of caution. Exactly. Um, is, is it Kerwin? Yeah. Kerwin, yes. Kerwin, yeah. And then we go over to uh, Carla. Uh, Carla. And then we go over to uh, Carter is evaluating uh, Mr. Kerwain, the older the older gentleman. Uh, he is vomiting, is agitated, uh, and he has no bowel sounds, and he has bed sores all over. Uh, Carter asks Carrie for an assist on getting Anspa on board, just in the middle of their converse, in the middle of evaluating this guy. And Carter, <laughs> rich boy Carter, have we forgotten about rich boy Carter? Because Carter says he doesn't need a salary if they can find a spot for him. <laughs> Yeah, because Carrie's like, I don't know if it's in the budget. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay me. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I guess, does Carrie even know that he's rich at this point? No. I don't think she does, because she, she wasn't around when, uh, when right, the yeah, initial... Right, season one. Yeah, the initial revelation was made. So. We find out Carter was Oprah rich. Yep. <laughs> yeah, she was not around for that, and nobody's discussed it really since then. But then we go on to Dr. Delamico is looking for Chuck Martinez, and Doug released him without telling her... And she goes off to find Doug, who is in the lounge talking with Jerry, when she barges in to yell at him, disagreeing with how he handled the patient, and that it wasn't his to discharge. Um, Doug says, technically, I'm supervising you. And she goes, you want to gamble with your own patients? Fine, don't do it with mine. <laughs> so I feel like this is going to be a new um, rivalry, so to speak. Yep, setting that up. Hmm. Jerry. <laughs> it's it's interesting. It's Curious to see how many of these threads they're going to carry over to season four. Yeah. I figure there's a little turnover in the writing staff. For right. sure. And I, I love to Jerry's again, going back to the, like <laughs> the guy who does the peace sign and then fades away. Like that's Jerry when she bursts into the lounge where he's just like, I would rather be anywhere than in this room right now getting yelled at. 
Yeah, I wish I'd paid more attention to his facial expressions during the whole he's thing. He's so uncomfortable. Like, you can just look at him and he's like, Ugh. So good. Um, but then Mr. Munder is in cardiac failure and they are get- working on getting him a pacemaker and wheeling him into trauma one. So they're going to try and stabilize him and get shit under control. And then uh, Carter's looking at Mr. Kerwain's films. There's no obstruction. There's no bowel obstruction. So it doesn't look like he'll need, sur- he'll need surgery necessarily. But the... And- you find out the wife is taking care of him all alone and you know she's also very old so she doesn't look well enough to even take care of herself really but let alone him so hence the malnutrition the bed sores etc and it does look like a uh, section of mr Kerwin's uh intestines paralyzed likely due to a medication interaction and uh, mrs Kerwin says i cook for him every day all of his favorites and you know but but does he eat it so she's she's trying she's trying her best but you know this is why assisted living facilities exist (laughs) i want to point something out i just realized Hmm. i don't think anywhere in this episode is there a whose films are those uh, not that i noticed but you always have a sharper eye for that than i do i don't think i put it down at all this episode Maybe it doesn't stand out. It yeah, might have our first clean episode on that on that front, or one where I just didn't notice, where it wasn't a glaring one. But yeah, because even in the scenes after this, they you see him like those are his films. Yeah, yeah. those those because you know they're looking at a couple different a few yeah. different X rays. And same with like same with Mister. I already forgot his Heart name. Heart Attack Man. Mister Heart Attack Man. Like by the time he's in there, they would have gotten his labs and his films. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's no glaring thing of an unturned room with a patient that's just been wheeled in. Sorry to interrupt our flow. No, that's but I'm shocked. It's, like, it's there's, notable, there, worthy of mention. There, there is a no, um, a no. Whose films are those in this? I don't think. It's revelatory right. for you, Lauren. This is, it only this it is only insane. took them sixty nine episodes, but they managed to get their shit together. Nice. It only matters to me, but. Yeah, but no. Just overall, the the whole ep- the whole scene here, is, especially the way that the wife plays it here like especially Mm -hmm. once carter starts talking about nursing home facilities and things like that like she is still she goes into like almost like this trance thing where she's like rubbing his head and is like you know he'll he'll be fine and like he like we've lived in that house for i forget how many years she said but 48 i think yeah and like you know just fix him up and i'll take him home like whatever and it's like oh gosh like she's just she does a really good job with it. It's too close of a peek into our own mortality, and I don't like it. Yeah, it is a little bit of that, for sure. Especially because, too, like, she is a very, I mean, I say very old. Like, she's a she's an elderly woman, but yet mm-hmm. she has a face. She has one of those faces where you can imagine what she looked like at almost any age. You know, mm-hmm. like, she has, like, a very defined face that you can, like, really picture her at 30 or at 40. Like, you know, she doesn't just look like an old woman. Right. Um, so it adds a lot to it. We go out of there uh, into EMTs bringing a patient in, a 14 to 15-year-old found in the mud at Grant Park, unconscious, covered in vomit with track marks on her arms. And surprise, it's Charlie. Remember that storyline that we completely almost dropped altogether and haven't really talked about in weeks? At first, I was was like, it can't be Charlie. They're they're a brunette. And then I said, no, your hair is just filthy. Yeah. Like. (laughs) Hair is just filthy. Uh, yeah, so we're bringing Charlie back uh, for reasons. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, we cut right out of there into Mark in with the detectives evaluating some uh, mug shots to see if he recognizes any of his uh, prospective assailants. 
and uh, Mark kind of makes a choice, but he's kind of uncertain about it. Um, a detective, one of the detectives offers him some support group uh, information, which he very quickly passes on. And then as soon as the detectives are out of the room and seemingly gone, Mark just goes complete ape shit and uh, throws a chair, like pretty much destroys the lounge, just throwing everything he can get his hands on. Uh, so he is not doing great, uh, not handling this well at all. Um, yeah, this was this was hard to watch. Yeah, yep. I hate I hate watching this because like this is the kind of angry I get when I get like angry. Mm-hmm. I get this angry. Yeah, it's and I don't like to see. It. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's not pleasant to see anybody do it. Um, and we talked. I think I think it was when he was attacked. We talked about how good Anthony Edwards is at the kind of disoriented acting, mm-hmm. like when he's out of it and loopy. Um, as good as he is at that stuff, I don't think he's very good at angry. Like his angry acting was a little bit hammy and over the top. I felt like he's just at a certain point kind of flailing his arms around and like it didn't, I mean, it took it's away from Mark. It. No, sure. Yeah. It, 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 like, it, it fits within the, the mold yeah. of Mark green. Cause he is a little bit dorky and probably would be a little bit clumsy in a situation where he loses control, yeah. but especially with a cast on his hand, you know, sure. I buy it. That's, that's my takeaway from that little interlude i buy it for sure uh but then doug goes into uh check on charlie and they are pumping her stomach and getting some antibiotics going yep and then the nicu nurse is asking benton if he's gotten to hold reese yet and and he's like no i I haven't and she um she says you know it's probably safe to name him now because benton mentions that they they haven't named him because they thought it was bad luck and um, I think she says small but strong when she's talking about him. Like, mm-hmm. you can hold him. He's not going to break. <laughs> it's just a doll. Don't worry about it, man. God. And then we have E-Ray and Jerry are arguing over who is going to answer the phone because it's ringing. And E-Ray's <laughs> like, I answer it all the time. When Jeannie just bursts in between them and grabs it and answers it. And it's really cute. Did anybody get a good look at Jerry's beard? Like, I cannot say I did. Yeah. Like, it's not something that has been... I don't, I don't think it's been there the whole season, and I, if it has, it certainly hasn't been a focus, but, like, in this episode, I was like, damn, Jerry, like, go ahead, man. Like, the beard is actually, like, coming in. Like, that's one of the, the things I like about how long Jerry's on this show, too, is the many different faces of Jerry. Like, you know, there's there's his hair changes, his facial hair changes. Like, uh, I, I have to give him, as a fellow bearded man, I have to give him props. We haven't seen nearly as much of Jerry this season as we saw in, like, season Mm -mm. one. I just noticed that. Desk clerks in general have been sort of not as front and center this season as before. Like, I would say we've probably seen, I think, a neck-and-neck thing between Jerry and Randy for who we've Mm -hmm. seen the most of this season. Um, And then probably E-Ray shortly. But this is definitely one of the only times we've seen Jerry and E-Ray there at the same time. Um, but then we have Carol and Doug are gossiping about the destruction Mark did on the lounge, and they're both just like, is he okay? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. And a quote-unquote friend of Charlie's comes by and just trying to find her, and and he says, and you know, he gets rebuffed by Doug, and uh, the guy says, tell Tom, tell her Tommy stop by. I'll be in the corner after 10. You know, he's, and Doug is like, oh, we're well, too bad, we're getting our mom involved, and the guy, and the guy says, well, yeah, funny you should mention that her mom's in jail for possession so good luck with that 
And Tommy here is played by actor Gabriel either Damon or Damone. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but uh, he was in films like uh, RoboCop 2, and he was the voice of Littlefoot in The Land Before Time. Mm-hmm. So uh, every time you watch Land Before Time from here on out, just remember it's uh, he's a pimp. Littlefoot is a pimp. <laughs> I could have told you that even before this. Uh. <laughs> Jesus. Um but then Carrie um, stops to talk to Carter and is kind of miffed because she says Anspa wouldn't even discuss it with her regarding Carter's move to the ER. Carter clearly left out some information when he was asking Carrie for help. So his quest continues. And we'll move uh, we'll move back to Charlie here for just a minute. Uh, we have some audio for you. Uh, just uh, Charlie, Anna, and uh, Doug. Talk screen came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Positive for cocaine, benzos, opiates. Blood alcohols 0.23. CBC shows a white count of 15.5. Hemoglobin's 9.8. Crit 28. Elevated AST and bilirubin. Hepatitis. Restraints. I don't want her to bolt. Did you take them off for me, please? Hey, she's still my patient. I understand that, but I need to talk to her. She's not going to want to talk if she's wearing restraints. Just don't leave her in the room alone without okay, restraints. Okay, you know what I'll do. So your belly button ring is infected. What are you doing? Do it yourself with a rusty nail? I don't feel so good. Yeah, well, we pumped your stomach. Found more chemicals in there than a toxic waste dump. I was just partying with some friends. Mm-hmm. So you graduated to smack now, did you? When can I go home? Where's that? With my mom. And we hear your mom's in jail. I won't go back to foster care. Is that where you were? The guy was trying to do me all the time, and his wife was a drunk. Sounds rough. You gonna let me go? Where? I've got friends. I know. Friends you can share a dime bag with if you want. Who's the cheerleader? Mm-hmm. It's Dr. Delamico. She took care of you when you first came in. She's the one who ruined my high? Mm-hmm. You like her? Okay, I'm gonna get a hold of your caseworker. We'll try and get you into rehab. You dried out, or you can keep screwing up your life, and you can end up dead in some alley, and that's gonna be your choice. I'm pretty tired. <sighs> that's it. That's really the last. That is the last on-screen appearance of Charlie. Yes, we will refer to her several more times throughout the episode. Her her story is not necessarily finished, uh, but as far as Kirsten Dunst goes, bye, Charlie. That is it, which is so strange that we would like, like, we'll get into this more next week on the wrap up episode. But like I, my memories of season three and Kirsten Dunst's arc is that it's much more significant than what it actually is, because this whole, this whole uh, Charlie storyline comes and goes and is functionally forgotten at this point. Like, was anybody really still wondering what happened to Charlie at this point? Like, no. and then they just bring her back for one scene just to show how fucked up she still is. And then they yeah. disappear her all over again forever. It's very strange. Yeah. It's okay. She's running away to New York City. So five years later, she can make out with Spider-Man. Yeah, she clearly got her life together. Like, it, it ended up okay. She just had to change her name and her hair color and all that. Like, everything turned out fine. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought they wrapped it perfectly fine with her last appearance. I didn't really think they needed to bring her yeah, back. Yeah, it's, it's feels very tacked on here and I'm not sure what I guess it's so that it can bring 
Delamico and Doug together, like for their little story here at the end. But again, it's like Lizzie said, you have to wonder how much of that really carries over into season four. Like, was it really worth bringing her back just for this one thing, just to do this? I don't know. Then we have Al comes by to find Jeannie at the ER and asks her what time she's going to be home for dinner. And as they're talking, Carrie runs up to the two of them and just kind of like figures out who Al is and glares at him. And she is not agreeing with this life choice at all as she hears Al talking about cooking dinner and when Jeannie needs to be home. Good. And Jeannie, as Al walks away, Jeannie says to Carrie, guess we got some catching up to do. Or is it the other way around? Uh, yeah, I can't remember what which one. But yeah, I'm, I total team Carrie here. Like she, yeah. somebody needs to tell Jeannie about herself. Yeah. Yeah. We go down to the river where we find Mark uh, smoking, and uh, Doug comes up and expresses some concern. When did you start smoking? Found one from Doyle. So I hear you had a meltdown today. You picked a fight with a lounge. Yeah. Feel better? Not really. Mark, I'm not going to write you that prescription for the Percodan. I think you got to get some help. I'm fine. Taking a chair to the lounge isn't fine. You gotta. It's never happened to you, Doug. You don't know. I'll get someone else to write me the perky dance. Okay. Right. If you ever want to talk, you know where to find me, right? Doug's trying. He's trying. He's doing the. He's doing the good. The good boy thing of not writing your friend a prescription for narcotics. <laughs> He's doing the doing the absolute bare minimum. I'm not going to facilitate personally you getting narcotics, but I'm also I'm also I mean, not going to force you to get any help. I mean, he's approached Mark several times already, advocating support and showing he's there for him. You can only help people so far if they're not going to help themselves. Very true. Very true. We have Carter's referrals for dietary, social work, and physical therapy all have finally come down to review Mr. Kerwain's charts. This can only end well with Carter's schedule a little bit later. We'll see how this goes. Then uh, we have uh, yet another audio clip for you. Uh, Benton is hanging out in the chapel, and Jackie comes by to see him. Hey, Peter. Move over. How'd you find me? It wasn't hard. It's what you used to do when you were little. Whenever you get in trouble, you go down to the church. You knew if Daddy found you, they'd figure you already repenting and wouldn't have the heart to take the belt to you. You're saying I was that calculating as a kid? <laughs> Mommy thought so. Me? I think Daddy was right. You were harder on yourself than any of us could have ever been. Carla says she hasn't seen you since first thing this morning. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. <laughs> what? The baby may have brain damage. Developmental problems, autism, mental retardation, they can't even say. Well, it might be fine, right? Either way, you're going to love him more than you can even imagine. I can't handle it. Sure you can. You'll have to. Let your son up there, Peter. The world is hard sometimes. It can't always go the way you want it to go. I love the two of them so much. I know. It's thankfully we'll thankfully we'll get a lot more of them together as Reese oh, yeah. grows up. 
Yep. It's particularly heartbreaking to to listen to her, listen to Jackie consoling him and, and you know, talking to him, given what we know is coming for her in her motherhood situation down the line. It's very like, oh, honey, like it's so. Oh, yeah. So sad. that hasn't happened no. yet. Has no, it? that happens next next season, season after. No, it's it's much closer to when Benton leaves. So I want to say so it, season seven. I'm thinking season seven sounds about right. Okay. So we still got a few years to go before we get there. Um, but that story is so sad and like just so what happens to her is so tragic. And to see that kind of dichotomy here of how she's trying to coach Peter through this, it's like, oh, oh, just breaks your heart. Uh, but we, Probably my favorite Benton episode, the one oh, where that event happens. Yeah, just absolute killer. I can't wait to get there. But we go out of there into another uh, metamorphosis into John Carter MD moment, uh, a big one. Carter working with the uh, team that Lauren mentioned a little earlier that has come down to consult on uh, Mr. Kerwain. And uh, as he's trying to balance all of this, Anspa is yelling at him in the background about needing to come to rounds. And Carter, you can see, is in this very like internal conflict about, like, I really want to advocate for this patient. I really want to do what's right here. But I'm also, like, still, I have this obligation. Like, he's, he's doing the kind of internal calculations on how far he can push this. And he finally just gets pushed over the edge and just screams at Anspa that, like, I'll come when I get, like, I'll be there when I'll be there, dude. Like, he just kind of really stands up for himself, and it kind of sucks the air out of the room. And Anspa kind of backs down a little bit. Like, Anspa goes from being, like, mega, mega dick to, like, it's it's hard to tell. Like, it's hard to read if it's him backing down or if it's the, like, parental thing of, like, you have pissed them off so much that they have now ceased the ability to raise their voice. Like, it's now, like, you, <laughs> your de- your fate has been decided. <laughs> so Because they are screaming at mm-hmm. each other in the middle of the... They ER. are, yeah. and it By the elevator bay. It is... Yeah. Uh, it's quite the scene. Very powerful stuff from Carter. Like, I'm so, so excited that we're actually... We're finally here with him. Yeah. yeah. Just... Ants, just that beautiful moment where Anspa says, "Rounds are a requisite of your of your internship," and yeah, and just Carter just screams back, "So is patient care." Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love it. So good. I love stuff. it. The two of them are such good scene partners mm-hmm. here. I'm so excited for season four. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but then from there we find out the nurses and admin team are going out for drinks, and Carol is headed out for her date in a lovely black dress. Ooh la la. And. Doug is working. I love how Doug distracted can't help but st- Doug is. Doug is, yeah. But then Doug like wakes back up and is working with Charlie's caseworker, and Charlie's gone. So that's not great. And Mark is getting ready to bail and head out for the day. Then we go back over to Mister Munder, our heart patient. Uh, he's getting a pace. He's getting a permanent pacemaker put in tomorrow, and his wife thanks her. His wife thanks Mark for saving her husband's life, and. Uh, who plays the wife here? Yeah, Mrs. Munder, very blink and you miss it appearance. They haven't really focused on her much at all this episode. Um, but Mrs. Munder is played by actress Jonelle Kennedy, who appeared in movies like Dream Girls and Guess Who, and as well as had a recurring role on the TV series The Mentalist. And uh, after that, E. Ray says, you know, it must be so amazing to make that kind of a difference in people's lives. And Mark is just like, eh, and walks off like what a way to how dirty can you do e-ray on his final appearance what, here right what a strange i mean i mean i guess kind of perfectly fitting for what a strange character e-ray is overall but what a strange yes. like hanging thread to leave on leave e-ray on like it really it almost because it's i don't think to me this qualifies as an ending for e-ray i'm still going to 
spoilers for the wrap up. I'm still going to categorize E-Ray as a Bob, but uh, it almost reads as though like E-Ray's having a, another career change type of moment where he's like, I want to do something more than be just a desk clerk. And so there might be some underscored, you know, understated uh, idea of re- character resolution for E-Ray there, but I don't think they were thinking that deeply about it. I think they just forgot to call Charles Noland ever again to play E-Ray. Which is such a shame. It is. It really is. But, but we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll, we will get into episode. it next week. But uh, we go from there back to uh, Delamico and Doug, who are now out on the streets looking for Charlie or her friend Tommy, either one. They just want to get some some semblance of where Charlie is and whether or not she's okay. So we'll check back in with them a few times before we close out the episode. And uh, Carrie and Jeannie are ne- are in our next audio are going to do their aforementioned, oh, we need to catch up. Let's listen to them catch up. So you headed home for a special dinner and some surprises? Uh, probably just a pot pie and video. Hal's not much of a romantic. So you guys are back together. You don't approve. I don't know. Does it matter if I approve? Just to me. It would help if I understood. I don't know if I do. You know, it's funny, Carrie. I'm happy. I'm happier than I've ever been. How can that be? And that's because of Al. No, it's because of me. I'm not afraid anymore. Of death? Of living my life. I see things now I didn't see before. I know what's important. I know what isn't. And I've been in love with Aboulé since the first time I saw him. I was 16 years old. I know he's been in love with me. Jeannie. Good night. Good night. No, Kara, you do not approve. You should not approve. No one should approve of this. Mm-mm. Nah, fam. I love their friendship. I do too. I really do. I think we've talked about that in the past, but like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking about no, it. It's, it's one of my favorites on the show. It's so good. No. Very it's one of the more mature like they don't have to talk all the time they don't we don't have to see them paired on screen all the time in order to remember that they're friends but whenever they do come together it's always very good and very like it's meaningful and i will say with this next scene that we're going to talk about you should go watch it because it is one of the best seasons scene individual scenes in all of season three personally in my opinion so it's it's very but it doesn't really translate to audio well so i didn't pull it but definitely go seek it out and any of us who have ridden the l on a regular basis have had moments where we've almost snapped like mark luckily most of the people i know don't carry guns on the train but still the general the gist of it we've all been there um so mark is riding on the l asleep and he wakes up to some jerks coming into the end of the car harassing a woman down there and he side-eyes the map to kind of figure out where on the route he is and then pretends to be asleep as they start to walk past, makes the mistake of glancing at them with one eye as they walk by, and they're all like, oh, you're not really asleep. 
come on, glasses man, like, give me some money, I need some money, just, just hassling him and bugging him, and he's like, oh, this is my stop, and he gets off, and the, one of the guys is like, alright guys, this is our stop too, and they follow him off the train and onto the platform, just keeping really close to him, and he whips a gun on them, and whips around and yells at them to get back on the train, and my favorite line is the guy goes, be cool, glasses man, chill out, as they slowly back onto the train. So yeah, Mark's totally having a fine day. Completely normal. Stay tuned for a future movie review episode of the remake of Falling Down starring Mark Green. (laughs) Totally a normal one. But just, uh, just Anthony Edwards in the scene is just chef's kiss. He's scary. Yeah. Yeah. He flips a, a real crazy switch in this. Goddamn. There's a side of Mark you really, you're really not gonna see pretty much i was gonna again. say yeah although well not definitely not this out of control there are yeah. other there are other sides of mark that we will see later on down the road that are equally as chilling there is an equally sinister side of mark that we will see later on down the road that uh is you know sends just the same kind of chills down your spine but it's not as the the control the, the lack of control is not there uh like it is here Mark ain't right, kids. Stay tuned for the season six premiere, yeah. for the season six finale, kids. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes in the entire it's series. It's a good one. Uh, but we go from there back to uh, Delamico and Doug search for Charlie, and Delamico has found that Charlie and Tommy uh, got some good hash and a good squat, whatever the fuck that means. I know the hash part. Not so sure about the squat part. Um, it means they found a good apartment to like hide out in. Gotcha. And get away from like cops and stuff. It's very like white people learning about drugs for the first time kind of dialogue there. (laughs) They got some good hash and a good squat. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's just my best guess based on the context of the situation. For sure. And I lied. It was season seven finale. I just thought that season six is Mayday. Season seven is Rampage. (laughs) Either way, we'll get there. I've seen this show. Uh, But so Doug kind of does his Doug thing, asks if she wants to get something to eat, and she rightfully calls him out on it like is this is this a you want your hungry thing or is this a let's go get something to eat and maybe it'll turn into something else kind of thing and he does his little Clooney smirk and you know she actually right good for her she actually calls him out on still being hung up on carol so yep what do they end up deciding on uh cheap burgers and he'll drop her off yeah some kind of drive-through takeout and she'll she will get dropped off and that will be that good we'll go to our final our final audio of season three. <sighs> and oh boy, what an audio it is. Uh, Carter catches Anspa at Anspa's car. Dr. Anspa. I'm late for dinner, Dr. Carter. Good night. Please, it'll only take a minute. This is not the time or the place. It's not that I dislike surgery. It's been incredibly challenging. The training has been excellent. You are a wonderful surgeon and a fine teacher. Get to the point, doctor. I admire surgeons and surgery, but it's not the type of medicine I want to practice. I can be a competent surgeon. I can learn the techniques, mechanics. But I'll never be a great surgeon. Dr. Anspa, I can be a great doctor. A doctor who spends time with his patients. Who's there for them. I'm good at it. Really good. I can make a difference in people's lives. Don't make me give that up. 
Please don't make me waste it. I've often wondered over the years if I made the right decision in becoming a surgeon. But you seem so certain. What are you? 26? 25. 25. What happened to your patient? The one you missed rounds for? Mr. Kerwin, I got him and his wife into a nursing home together. It's supposed to be very nice. I'm sure it is. You find me in the morning. We'll see if we can work something out. I want to say, aside from that's a great scene and Baby Carter is officially gone as of season four for a while, um, that musical cue at the very end of that episode is just chef's kiss. Very, very good, yes. Yay! <laughs> I'm just happy. I'm just happy. Ready it's, for the show to finally start? Yeah. It's been a long, hard road with Carter to get here. Like We've had a lot of ups and downs with, with Baby Carter. And um, I'm happy to see him graduate to something. And, and also, too, I'm happy to get to see another side of Anspaugh's character. Because my biggest complaint this whole time with the Anspaugh slash Morgenstern role is that it's very one-dimensional. We don't really get to learn very much about them as people and as doctors you know they're just there to serve a, a administrative purpose they're not really there to give any additional character insights and so we get to see a little bit of Anspa the guy here and you know some of the he he, he kind of touches on some of the like insecurities he's had about his own career and whether or not he made the right choice early on and so it's cool to just be able to get just that little extra bit of drip of character background that I, I really like that agreed good note to end on Carter for for season three and if I didn't have our notes in front of me, I would have almost sworn this is where the episode ended. It would have been a good way for good... the episode to end. Yeah, it would have, it would have lie, bookended. But... I mean, because if you'll remember going back to season two, you know, season two ends with Carter getting his white coat. This mm -hmm. would have been kind of a nice bookend with that to, you know, again, show the, the growth of Carter. But it also shows, too, how the scope of the show has grown as well. That Carter's no longer the sole focus of things. That there are there are right. more important things going on outside of what ha what's happening in Carter's life. So I, I think that's a, it's a good thing. that it, it Ultimately, I think, is the right choice that they don't end the episode here. Um, so then we get Mark running along the river and he stops like at the, at the, um, the edge like the fence that's right there and for a second i thought they were gonna pull in is he going to jump situation like i with how stressed out he was i was like are they gonna have us have mark like not do a suicide attempt but like are they gonna fake people out on that right. for a minute but then he um he pulls out the gun and then i was like oh my god are they gonna like make mark shoot himself like i'm sure these were the things going through people's minds the first time this season came out was like What's he going to do? He's so, he's been so unstable, but he whips the gun out and chucks it into the river. So that was a short lived gun ownership. Good. Yeah, good. As all gun ownership should be. <laughs> yep. Maybe don't throw them in the river, but dispose of them properly, folks. But. Yes. Um, and then Carol is home from her date and out of nowhere, after the date drives away, Doug just pops out from under the subway. He's like, hey, hey, what's up? That was a little creepy. And they kiss. They have, they have a very, very, very inspired kiss. And I just want to say, about time. 
like, Doug, this wasn't the best timing to do it. Like, maybe do it when it's not, like, her coming home from a date and you don't pop out from under the L tracks. But in general, about time. Conversely, based, we were talking about this with Carter, how that could have been the ending. Conversely, I think this should have been the ending. Like, I would have, mm, I would have flipped enough. these last two scenes. I would, have done, I would have done what's coming up next first, and then I would have ended with Doug and Carol. Because it's a much, much more uplifting, much more season is ending kind of... If you're not going to do a cliffhanger, which this isn't really a cliffhanger per se. It's more hopeful. It's more hopeful, exactly. Yeah. Versus uh, our what we actually end the season on is Benton up in the NICU. He's finally holding Reese for the first time. And he absolutely looks so absolutely horrified and so in love. Like he's going to break this tiny, frail little thing. And, you know, taking great care to make sure, like, oh, there's the head supported. Oh, is he, is he good? Is he good? All of his, all of his tubes are, are good. And the NICU nurse is absolutely amazing and just, and just like, she can tell she's happy yeah. that that he's actually getting to have this precious moment in Reese's life. Um, Just such, which, such love from Benton, too. We don't actually get Reese's name nope. yeah, this no. season, he's, I learned. Yeah, he's not officially yeah, just, named. That, that just occurred to me. He's just the baby. The last shot is just of Carla watching from the outside. Um, maybe there's like only a certain amount of people allowed in the NICU at the same, at the same time for safety reasons. Not bringing, not concentrating too many extra germs around the children, um, but she does not look happy, right? Yeah, very intense look. But yeah, that's a wrap on season three, folks. We did mm-hmm. it. Do we feel like this stuck the landing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it. I would say, and again, we will we will touch on this in way greater detail next week um, for the wrap up, but. I would say that of the three season finales we have done so far, I do think this is the weakest one. But I also, th- I hmm. also think that season three has been the weakest season that we have done so far. So it kind of tracks, you know. Like, I disagree with that. But okay. I think season two was probably the best season finale we've had so far, with season one being a close second, and then I think this one is is in last place so far. Um, but it's not that it's a bad episode. It's a very good episode, and I just think it ends on kind of a strange note. Um, like it's not really yeah. a cliffhanger. It's not really very hopeful. It's not. Very, it's just kind of a. It just could have been edited. Could have been edited better. Yeah, it could have been thing. Yeah. If you'd have just changed up the order a little bit, I, th- I think. Again, I think the the Carol and Doug pairing the the kiss that we've all like you said we've all been kind of expecting and waiting for most of the season. I think that's a perfect place to have ended this season. I think that was the moment that you really wanted to stick the landing on it for. Whatever reason they just chose chose not to do it that way. Maybe because uh, pairing up Mark, chucking the gun in with Benton in the NICU, meeting Reese for the first time, and that whole the tension that like you might have wanted to break that up a little bit. So I, I understand where they're coming from with that. But yeah, no, I think it's a, a very solid episode, eight out of ten for sure. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think the biggest thing we could have gotten rid of was the Charlie thing. Yeah. The, yeah, the Charlie thing was pretty I, pointless. I don't know what we would have had breathe in its place, but I don't remember. I, I don't. I don't remember where Doug and and Doctor Delamico where their stuff goes. So like, we might we might get to like the fifth episode of season four and be like, oh, okay. So now we now we see where they're going, but to be determined on that. But yeah, if if that doesn't go anywhere, then yeah, the Charlie thing isn't is an immediate easy cut out of this where you could just dispense with that altogether because there was no reason to bring that storyline back um but other than that no it's it's a very solid ending to the season and uh, we will definitely get more in depth on the season as a whole next week for the season three wrap-up 
All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie reviews, where we watch a movie featuring an ER cast member and pick it apart. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic on each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. And you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer, that's J-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Spider-Man, The City That Never Sleeps. New episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening, and please join us again next time, and have a great week. (laughs) 